the boards in front of the 200. Dr. Grayson, Sedestin are challenging and better loosen up on the extreme outside. Sedestin and Benelux have come away. They're fighting it out. Better loosen up on the extreme outside is roaring clear and better loosen up wins the Sajano. Sedestin second. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Many Australian trainers have tried their horses on Pride's Racing Cube and have given the product a tick of approval. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube set recipe formulation means the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags, or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at an economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed Stable. Trainers of thoroughbreds, standard breads, and performance horses are giving it the thumbs up all around the nation. When Robin Freeman had her first race ride in 1999, the ranks of female jockeys in Australia were much thinner than they are today. That first race ride, by the way, was a memorable one. A win on a horse called Magic of Shanghai at Armadale. Almost a quarter of a century later, her win tally isn't far short of 500, and that's allowing for a few years off to have her two children, James, who's now eight, and six-year-old Zara. Early in her career, Robin gained valuable experience in Macau and South Africa, while in 2014 she was delighted to represent Australia in a lady jockey's invitation in Sweden. Her talents have been acknowledged by some very high-profile trainers. She completed the final stages of her apprenticeship with Gay Waterhouse and stayed on with that stable for another two and a half years. She later rode winners for Gerald Ryan and the late Guy Walter. She's had more than a share of injuries over the years, some requiring long layoffs, but not for one moment did she ever contemplate quitting the saddle. Robin and the children live with her parents at Camden and she's currently riding regular track work at Kembla Grange. She doesn't mind travelling when called upon by other trainers and as recently as September the 30th, she journeyed to Newcastle when offered two rides by Ben Smith, Viest in a benchmark 64 and Ma Ali in a class one, her only rides for the day. Racing people were reminded of her talents when both horses won, paying $61 and $21 respectively. Robin's online to talk to us on the podcast. Rob, when you're winning on long-priced horses, you're obviously doing something right. Yeah, so I think um, the market's never wrong these days. Um, there's a, it's not a lot that... that um, trainers can hide 
anymore with um with all of the coverage that they have these days. So yeah, to get a long priced horse, they're very few and far between. I saw both races, and I've got to say, your experience really showed through. You don't like bustling horses off their feet, do you? You rode those fillies with great patience on the day. John, you hit it on the head. I don't. Um, I don't often ride horses out of their comfort zone. You won't see me wailing one out of the barriers to be there. Um, but, yeah, I think if you can get a horse just travelling naturally on their own, they're always going to finish off for you. So mm. um, when I was even riding for Gay, and the keys, just once you, you get them out the gates cleanly and if you give them a good warm-up before they jump, <coughs> they generally <coughs> pardon me, they generally will hit the line nicely for you mm. um, and travel really well throughout the race. You're a single mum pursuing a professional riding career which would be an impossible task without the support of your mum, Dawn, and your dad, Graham. Wonderful parents. Absolutely. As, um, you, you hit it on the head. It's, it, it is impossible um, to do it with, with travelling, um, getting the kids to school and, and to their even all of their sports that they do after school. Mm. So, um, like, their, um, their dad... Uh, does help out a lot, um, but definitely when I can't, when I'm working, uh, mum and dad step up and I absolutely couldn't do it without them. And, and even when I don't necessarily need them, they're more than happy to be there. They love being grandparents and, and mm. it just works. Mm. You tell me neither Dawn nor Graham are what you'd call avid racing fans, but mum does her best to keep track of your rides. Yes, it will. They, they're not animal people at all, let alone into racing. So when I started to go into racing, I think they thought it would be a bit of a phase that I was going through. But mum kept asking me after the first few injuries early in my career, so are we done? Are we done now? Are we done now? <laughs> but uh, she didn't realise it's, it's a bit like a bug and it doesn't go away. Mm. And the kids, James is eight and his little sister is six. I imagine racing is probably well down their list of priorities. Absolutely. Um, I, I try to keep them away from racing to start, just to start with, just because I didn't want them to want to come to the races um, with me just because it, it's too much travelling, it's too hard getting them organised and keeping them entertained and having people babysit them at the races. And I also didn't want to let them down saying sorry you can't either so um it was just like i kept it like a standard job mum's going to work and i'll be back at such and such time but then mm. now they're old enough um i can't get them interested they they're they love animals but they would rather feed them and look after <laughs> them than ride them or have anything to do with racing and um all my daughter knows is that I should only be winning and I should just try harder and only win. So <laughs> <laughs> She sounds a sweetie, Zara. You're getting she to Kembla, you're writing work down there fairly frequently and you forge connections with a few trainers. Who are they? So we have uh, Ben Smith. Um, uh, he's taken over ML Stables from Anthony Mountney and uh, there's well, the late... 
Gwenda Markle I was writing for, I uh, occasionally write for um, Ross McConaughey, which mm-hmm. is um, former Nigel is also there, and Teresa Badup and also Luke Price, Luke and Rob Price. Keeping you busy. Yes. In yes. mid-teens, Robin, you enrolled in an equine management course at the Armadale TAFE. Did that include actual riding instruction? Yeah, it, it it was to get started for to become a jockey or track work rider. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't be here without it. I had uh, started working in stables when I was fourteen um, on weekends, and just I wanted to be a jockey from that moment. But uh, I couldn't ride. I had most of my parents aren't horse people or animal people, so I'd only been on trail riding. Um, experiences and so I went to a few stables around I went to uh, Colnelson in Cranbourne and he put me on the pony a few times and it just kept bolting mm. and um, and then I went to Sue Yench in South Australia um, and she just said you just need to get the basics I didn't have basic horse sense and I think that mm. is highly important in this game whether you're a, a strapper or mm. Or a, a jockey, um, just to understand why horses do things and not that they're trying to be annoying to you. I think it's the, mo- the hardest thing to learn in this game. But mm-hmm. um, they taught me a lot. They do everything from you, you do gymkhanas um, to track work experience um, to learning pH levels in grass. So uh, we shod horses and, and like, it, it's a full experience and we stayed on a farm um so you're doing everything. You're looking after the horses, and and then we worked in this. In the, there's a couple of ex race horses, and we had a whole stable of ex race horses that the mm. the TAFE had put on. It was a, it was a fantastic course, and I think it was um, to racing's demise that they that racing New South Wales um, cut it out. To be honest, mm. and it was the Armadale TAFE who was able to arrange an indentureship for you with local trainer Stafford Wayne. And this was really the start of your professional life as a jockey. Stafford Wayne was an owner-trainer, wasn't he? He had very few horses in work. Yes, he had, he had a few. Um, that, that was the, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Magic of Shanghai. He was a trainer of Magic of Shanghai. And he had about approximately maximum of 12 horses in work at any time. Mm. And probably as low as probably six. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was a small team. Well, eventually, lack of opportunity there saw you move on and the Robin Freeman pilgrimage began. Few (laughs) apprentices have had more changes of address than you did. You were lucky to gain a transfer to Gaynor Williams at Bathurst. How long were you there? uh, For me, it was probably not quite a year, Um, but um, Gaynor was fantastic. But I still had a lot to learn um, that I hadn't learnt yet, and um, I ended up having uh, a pretty severe injury on track work that, that there at one stage where I ruptured my kidney and I'd fractured my L2 and L3, and um, uh, that put me out for a, a short amount of time. Then not long after that, when I came back, Gaynor Williams had actually closed a stable down for a few years, mm. so I had to move on from there. And you didn't move far. You went to Mudgee, to the stables of Colin Jeffries, 
but he was destined to close up shop not long after. You must have been feeling a little lost by this. I was, uh, I seemed to be the kiss of death at a sta- at the stables, um, at the uh, small stables. So, yeah, that, mm. but, um, yeah, I had, I had a fair bit, I had learned a lot there actually. We were stabled with, um, the late Mac, uh, Max Crockett. Mm. And, um, he get, they, I had quite a few opportunities around Mudgee and Bathurst and, and I started to get a little bit of reputation. In, in Mudgee, and mm. I was starting to pick up a few rides from there, and I was I had a fair bit of help from Tracy Bartley at the time as well. Mm, that's right. He was based at Mudgee, wasn't he, in those days? But then you had a stroke of luck because you gained a start with a wonderful horsewoman in Leanne Aspros at Bathurst. Yes, we had a we, – we killed it out there. Um, we argued a lot <laughs> over rides. Um, but look, at the end of the day, she'd give me opportunities and I rode a lot of winners for her. Um, and it, it was, it was definitely everything that I needed to kick off and come start venturing away from there and come to town. Mm. The next move was significant, Robin, all the way to Newcastle to link up with the late Max Lees who died in 2003. I hope you got to know him because he was a true gentleman of the turf. Yes, um, I was only there for four months. Um, I'd struggled with opportunities at Newcastle. I think it was a bit uh, a bit more of a click sort of situation, Newcastle, that stage. And, and as you were saying earlier, with the lack of uh, women riding, it, just, it, um, it didn't seem to be the place for me at the time. So I was mm. keen to move on. Um, from from that stable and and nothing towards anybody else there, but uh, just need, just wasn't getting enough rides to maintain staying at Newcastle. Mm. Well, next stop, Randwick, and the stables of Graham Beg. You learn from top trainers over the years. Robin Graham was one of them. How long did you spend at Barrymore Lodge? I would pro- probably say I I. I couldn't honestly tell you the amount of time I was there. It was probably no more than wouldn't be any more than six months. Mm. Um, but I enjoyed I enjoyed working there, and and uh, Neville Begg would come in and speak of true gentlemen and racing. And I uh, still uh, don't know too many um, gentlemen I've met uh, with with his experience in racing and. Mm. Um, and I learned a fair bit from there. It was really good. It was lovely, lovely team. Mm, oh, great family. And then came a very important phase of your racing life. You signed up for the latter part of your apprenticeship with Gay Waterhouse. And for the first time, you were able to settle into a routine. You spent a total of six and a half years all up at Tullock Lodge, and you stayed on long after your apprenticeship had finished. Yes, well, where I was uh, apprenticed to Graham Begg, um, I was writing work for Gay at the time as well, and I was getting a few opportunities, and I, I just felt I clicked. I had a lot of respect for Gay, as I mean, you could not, but I, mm. I just clicked with the stable there, and so I asked um, her, her jockey manager at the time, Peter Dawkins. I said, "Would Gay be interested in apprenticing?" 
me at the time and she hadn't had an apprentice before. And Peter said, she absolutely said yes. And I, I couldn't wait to um, move stables and, and get in with gays or call it a family because it's exactly what it was. Mm. Um, and it's the reason I stayed. Um, gay, gay treated me as an apprentice. It was, it was hard, don't get me wrong, but I don't think um, she did it for any other reason than my benefit. Mm. And um, I learned a tremendous amount. I changed my riding style. Um, I rode with the best riders um, in the country at the time, and I think it shaped my career making that move. Mm. And who were the top jockeys riding work for Gay at the time? They'd be queuing up there out in the middle at Randwick every morning. She had the yes. best in the business, didn't she? Certainly did. We had... Um, Jim Cassidy, Larry Cassidy, Danny Beasley, Lenny Beasley, uh, Chris Muntz, uh, Nasha Willer, Corey Brown, that's enough. I, I could I could reel them off every, like for a day. Um, yeah. She had a, a little tram stop there, and we'd all get on and and you know she. Like she just let you ride with the best of them, and a lot of her track work was quite competitive. So. It just taught you a lot, and mm. it was good fun. And and her horses, they were tough, and um, it, you got to ride some quality animals, and, and it was quite a it was a fantastic experience. She put many rides your way, principally at the uh, Newcastle and Kembla Saturday meetings, and you often rode her horses, I recall, at Gosford and Wyong. Yeah, so I. Uh, I was her uh, leading provincial rider, um, and yeah, we, uh, back in the day, Gay would send everything, all of her horses, regardless of their ability at the time, in the early parts of their career for education to the provincials. So there was um, myself, Mark Newnham, and uh, Neil Payne, where we would get to ride those horses in the first first few races, and then she'd bring them to town, and and then the um, the other boys would take over from there. You say the best horse you rode for Gay was the big fella, Desert War. You rode him at his first three starts, a fifth at Newcastle and then consecutive wins at Gosford. She was there for one of the Gosford wins and you tell me she wasn't happy with a comment you made after the race. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So... When he ran fifth at Newcastle's first start, now keep in mind this horse was—he's a monster. He, he like he was the biggest horse, short of just slightly short of Grand Army, but he was more solid and he was a bit rude. Mm. So he, he had a few tricks and and um, Gay didn't tolerate that type of behaviour from any of her horses, let alone him. Mm. And he he got uh, he got checked so severely that his nose hit the ground. Um, not probably a furlong after the start and he's picked himself back up being a big horse in a short distance race and he he hit the line and gay wasn't overly impressed with the animal she thought and we might move him on and and um then i rode him in his next start and won on him and gay was there and she said um like she asked me my opinion and i i explained to gay this will be one of your best stayers Ooh. and um she was not impressed. She actually 
No, what did she say? She smacked my hand with a race book and she said, young lady, don't make such silly comments, especially in front of the camera. (laughs) Well, I wonder if she remembers that moment, Rob, because Desert War went on to win six high-profile Group 1 races and about $3 million in prize money. He won two Epsoms, in fact. Every time she stepped him up, he just kept producing. And he was just such a big, gangly, uh, immature. As I said, he was quite rude as a younger horse. And um, so it was probably hard to get a line on, on how good the horse actually was. But after I, the last win I, I won on him, he came out. Chris Munts rode him. He won the Gosford Guineas. And and he's just he just went on from there. Um, but... Gay did actually uh, make a comment in the newspaper, which um, sort of I was a little bit chuffed about, where she had mentioned that I did say it was going to be a good horse and she wasn't quite sure oh. about him at that stage. And so I felt a little vindicated in that little moment. Mm. I'm glad she did that. That was a nice thing to do. She didn't have to do it. No, a, a, a few people um, have some wild ideas about um Gay's personality, but um, John, she's just a woman that would do anything for anyone, but she just wants the best out of everyone that she comes across. So if you're um, if you're just not quite looking the part, she'll help you look the part. If you're not talking the right way, she'll help you talk the right way. Whether she sends you off for speech therapy or she sends you to a beautician, but she's not. Mm. She's um, the way she might say it might come across a little abrasive, mm. but I've, there's never a, a moment where she's not trying to improve somebody. Yeah. So, um, and she, she's just—I yeah, think she's an amazing woman that I have a lot of respect for. You think she's misunderstood? Misunderstood, yes. But I mean, she's she's um, I, what's the word I'm looking for? She. She's a force to be reckoned with. Um, so a few people think that um, that she's a little too blunt or um, mm. that she comes across as quite rude. So, yeah, maybe misunderstood. Mm. You won a maiden at Kembla for Gay on a brilliant filly called Lotteria, who went on to win eight races all up, including a couple of Group 1s and about $1.5 million. Gay obviously had a bit of faith in young Robin Freeman, to be putting you on horses of that calibre. Yes, she certainly did. As I said, she was quite happy for us to educate the horses out at the provincials and um, as there was a, a little bit of camaraderie um, among the team, but it, I would say it got a little tense when it comes to these better horses. Um, and like you said, for her to, to entrust me with a couple of those really nice horses, it's... Um, it's um, Compliment. It's definitely a compliment. Mm. The ranks of female jockeys, as I mentioned earlier, were pretty thin in Sydney in the early 2000s. Yeah, so there was only Bernadette Cooper, um, who, like, she was the probably the kingpin in, of the females at the time, and then. Mm. Um, not long after that, also uh, oh, Leanne Henry was in. She was in town for a little bit, and yeah. then myself. And then after Kathy finished her apprenticeship, then she came to town, and mm. she had a lot of success for Guy Walter. 
and then um, she basically took over from there. Right, and then a few years later, along came Rachel King. You were going along swimmingly, riding plenty of winners, especially on the provincial circuit, when you were suddenly bitten by the travel bug for some reason. You were young, you were keen, and you felt the time was right. How did you That's get to Macau? I, uh, I, I was kept running second in all the provincial premierships for a few years, and um, I just felt like I just couldn't quite... Um, uh, like I felt a little bit stagnant, maybe the right word. And then mm. I had an opportunity. I got uh, asked to go to Macau uh, for a three-month stint and I was single and, as I said, um, just sort of whacking away at the provincials and I thought I've got nothing to lose mm. and it would be a good experience. A few people I spoke to said go there, you'll earn a fair bit of money and like, and learn a bit. So I, mm. I, uh, I got on the plane and off I went. Yep. Well, you rode nine winners in Macau in a very strong jockey pool, but you also had a spate of accidents. And you were telling me the other day there was one unsound horse you should never have been on. Yeah. So she, um, I had actually pulled her up in the gallop the, a few days before the race, and and that's almost impossible at Macau that their horses are, are not. The, the nicest of animals and and the fact that she just pulled up at the furlong tell and I got off her and I walked her back and um a trainer at the time he's a leading trainer at the time and he said oh oh she's just she's not much good hmm. she's a useless cast six horse and that's just her it's no problem and uh so I, I listened to him which I probably shouldn't have done and hmm. I rode the horse in the race a few days later she came out bandaged from her fetlocks to her knees, mm. and uh, yes, yeah, she she fell after about a furlong. She snapped both her front legs. Oh dear! And um, I had come down, and it was I was booked to ride in Hong Kong for the Hong Kong Macau Derby on one of the favourites. So I was devastated to say the least. Mm. What was the injury list? She had uh, no you, was, yourself, Rob. Oh, sorry. Mm. Um, I I had been unconscious for a, a fair while and uh, I felt to be bruising over my back um, at that stage and then when I, I asked to try and leave the hospital, I had mm. also I collapsed so I had to stay in a bit longer so I wasn't mm. able to, to ride at all. Mm. And the unfortunate mare suffered fractures to both forelegs in that yeah, uh, fateful had, um, fall, yep. Yeah, she had two stress fractures prior to to uh, that race, which is why I pulled her up. Which um, mm. they were trying to work her through, which and that for that, and a few other. I had said, as you said, John, I had quite a few injuries there, and it was incidences of horses being unsound for the most part. Mm. And um, it just got hearing that and and understanding where the racing was going in Macau. I. At that stage, I thought I, I need to move on. Mm. I think it was one of the Macau stewards who first informed you about an opportunity in South Africa. You decided to give it a go, and the next thing, you're in Port Elizabeth in the Eastern Cape province. Did you work there for a local trainer? Yes, I worked there for Gavin Smith. Um, I struggled with the visa side of it um, for race riding, but uh, I, I loved it over there. It is a beautiful, fruitful country. 
um, just uh, it's just um, governed wrong. But it, it's I, I enjoyed myself there. I enjoyed the way things worked. Uh, um, I enjoyed the people, and um, I learnt a tremendous amount, um, especially being um, on the other side of the fence um, with the training side and about everything from feeding to uh, different ways to train horses, like they train them very differently over there, mm. um, horse behaviours and, and obviously different sicknesses as well. There's different um, viruses and things over there and, um, it, it, yeah, just just learning um, even becoming more of a horsewoman. I actually always rode short everywhere I went and um, mm. and over there they sometimes don't even ride in saddles and riding long everywhere and just learning how the difference of the way the horses can relax riding mm. long and um, just becoming a better rider. I really enjoyed it. Mm. And you rode winners in South Africa, which of course went straight onto the CV. Now when you finally got back to Australia, you virtually had to start from scratch. I think you went to stay with your parents who were still in Melbourne at that time. And as hard as you tried, you couldn't get off the ground. No, well, I'd been away for too long. <clears throat> so I was in South Africa for two and a half years. I was in Macau for nine months and everyone had forgotten my name, to be honest. I, in Melbourne, I spent nearly every other day explaining that I wasn't a three-kilo claiming apprentice at the time um, because they, that's – that's uh, every time I called up, they asked you how much I claimed because they didn't know who I was. And I, like, I just I, – I struggled. I could not get a ride. I went – I rode work everywhere. So mm. I, I'd even travel all the way down to Cranbourne for the trials as they have a heap of trial days and just hoping to try and pick a ride up, just walking around talking to trainers and – it was virtually impossible. Um, I didn't stay in Melbourne that long until uh, Brett Kavanagh uh, randomly called me one day and asked if I would be interested in helping him out at Albury. Mm. Yes, he'd not long moved to Albury. He had tremendous success from that training base. He won 11 SDRA premierships, and I'm sure you rode many of those winners. Finally, well, you decided to give it another crack in the metropolitan area and you rejoined the Waterhouse team. Was this about the time you met your future husband, Stuart? I, I'd actually met him um, from Albury and I moved back to Sydney also to be with him as well. Mm. Um, so uh, we had got married in 2009 mm. and... Um, and, yeah, the, the, the rest is history there. Yeah. You'd formed an association by this time with Noel and Emma Mayfield-Smith, who were training at Hawkesbury. They had a pretty good team spearheaded by famous Seamus. You loved that horse and you were travelling to Hawkesbury frequently to ride him work. Yeah, well, see, he was a little bit... He'd come from New Zealand and he had a little, a few barrier issues. Mm -hmm. And um, and Emma and I were riding him and, and we were working on getting his, his manners correct in the barriers, but we definitely knew that, that he was a very smart horse. Um, we just had to get him to the races. And so I would go there every other day um, and 
ride him and a few other of Nolan Mayfield, Nolan Emma Mayfield Smith's horses, and and um, once we realised how good uh, famous was, I was I if he asked me to be there, I was there in a heartbeat to ride him. So yeah, well, we'll find out how good he was after this commercial break in two thousand and nineteen. A horse race called the Golden Eagle swooped onto the Sydney racing scene just like the bird of prey after which it is named. The first two editions of the new four-year-old race carried $8 million. Last year it went to $10 million and it's the same this year. 10% of that prize money will go to charities nominated by the owners of Golden Eagle Runners. Colding overcame a chequered passage to win the first Eagle for Chris Waller and Glenn Boss less than a month after winning the Epsom. In 2020, 18 four-year-olds slogged through heavy nine going with victory going to Godolphin's Colette who'd won the Oaks in her previous preparation. It was a magic moment for young jockey Kobe Jennings, whose weight problems are well documented. Colette beat another mare, Ice Bath, who would go on to run four Group 1 placings before finally winning at the elite level two years later. There's a sad aspect to the 2021 edition, won by I'm Thunderstruck, snatching victory in the last few strides from Count de Rupee. By a bizarre twist of fate, both of those wonderful horses have since passed on. I'm Thunderstruck died following knee surgery this year, while Count de Rupee suffered a cardiac arrest in a Kembla jump out in 2022. Last year it was expat New Zealander I Wish I Win, the horse born with a twisted foreleg. It hasn't worried him because he was gallant in beating quality mare Fan Girl. Part owner and trainer Peter Moody was delighted to renew his association with jockey Luke Nolan, the black caviar combination. Saturday, November the 4th is the date and the Golden Eagle will be supported by the Giga Kickstakes, the Rose Hill Cup and the Four Pillars as the Sydney Spring Carnival rolls on. My special guest is, and I use the term respectfully, pioneer lady jockey Robin Freeman. Rob, you'd be well aware that you rode famous Seamus 13 times all up for five wins and four placings. One of those wins was a listed. It was the lightning handicap at Randwick. He beat a horse called Too Many Reds. I'll bet you remember that one, a stakes race. I do. He, uh, Jim and Denise uh, Simpson, their owners, they uh, were very solid in sticking with me with this um, this gelding. They could have put anyone on that the a lot of the Sydney riders, Sydney boy riders I know were calling them and asking to ride him. So uh, they stuck with me for that long and I was lucky enough to get on in this race and the way Noel wanted him ridden, which was always sitting midfield or worse and, and mm. the race, the speed was on him that day and it suited him down to the ground and mm. he got a lovely run through mm. and, uh, and and stuck his nose out right at the right time. Mm. He later won a Group 1 in Brisbane, the BTC Cup, ridden by Ryan Wiggins. But that's the way it goes. At the time, Rob, he was very, very good to you. Now, it certainly was. It was 2014 when you were absolutely delighted to be given the opportunity to represent your country in a ladies' invitation in Sweden. 
a great thrill and a great honour, and you tell me the visiting girls were absolutely fated. Um, Looked after beyond belief. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we were spoilt rotten. It was a um, fantastic experience. Um, they paid for everything. They paid for our flights. Our accommodation was first class. Mm. Uh, I mean, we're sitting in, we're sitting having breakfast with the likes of Ozzy Osbourne and, and a few other celebrities. And we, um, there was the, uh, uh, the king and the queen of Sweden. It was, it was sort of like their Australia Day mm. over there. And so there was a parade and we were part of the parade, which was uh, amazing. Yeah, we were definitely spoiled. It was Great fun and uh, definitely an honour to represent Australia in that in that uh, race. Mm. The track is called Garday in Stockholm. You had two rides. You picked up an extra one and ran second in a stakes race and then you were absolutely gobsmacked to win the invitation on a horse called Alibaba del Sol for a lady trainer, Karen Vandenbos. Just looking him up, as I did the other day, Robbie, he seemed to be a pretty useful horse. He was. He he wasn't very big, but uh, uh, Karen, she was very uh, keen that, that like that this horse could win this race, and she gave me specific instructions. And to be honest, I couldn't ride to those instructions the way the race had been run, and I think she was holding her breath for a short while. <laughs> but... Um, had I not ridden him that way and ridden him uh, her way, I'm not sure he would have won by as far. I'm sure he probably still would have won, but yeah. he won in a hand canter by, I think it was like four or six lengths, I think. Good feeling. Very. It was good fun. And the crowd was massive, so yeah. it was very. It was good fun. Gay Waterhouse isn't backward in offering advice on matters away from racing. And one morning you were slightly taken aback when she suggested that you should start thinking about raising a family. Correct. I, uh, As I said, Gay has an opinion and she's one of the best for you. And I was at that age where I, um, in her opinion, I should probably think about um, starting a family as, as it was something I wanted, but, it, um, but I was probably interested in racing uh, more at the time. Mm. And she uh, she mentioned in front of everyone if I was still using a contraceptive <laughs> and that I should stop the contraceptive and uh, start having a family. Good old gay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I uh, I did ignore this re request and and I kept trying to push on and she she ever so um, uh, kindly, for the right word, is she mm. She just lessened the rides and lessened the trials to the point where yeah. she sort of made the decision for me. Mm. Well, you obviously followed that recommendation because you fell pregnant with James. And from the moment you conceived, you walked away from racing and you were away for quite a while. I did. I, I came back to track work within approximately six weeks mm. um, and I, I, I love my job. I love riding but I, I love being a mum a whole lot more which is an experience I did not expect to have. Mm. Um, I was not um, – wasn't interested in, in kids at the time 
and or like kids at the time until I held my own and I just I thoroughly loved being a mum and so um like uh, you thought Stuart you'd do time, it again <laughs> well yes and Stu at the time he was earning yeah enough that I, I didn't really need to go back to race riding at this stage but yeah. I dabbled in it uh, with a few of the small trainers at Warwick Farm, like mm. the likes of Pat O'Grady, uh, he would give me an occasional ride here and there, but um, which was like, I appreciated. It was really good fun, mm. but um, I wasn't ready to come back to full-time race riding at that stage, and mm. and looking to always um, have another baby. So yeah, well, Zara came along about two years after James, so all up, how long were you out of racing? Uh, at, for out of proper racing, I was probably gone for, uh, I would say, a good three years. Mm. Well, when you finally got serious again, your weight was pointing north. You couldn't get under 57 or 58 kilos, and I think your good friend Kathy O'Hara came along with a suggestion. Uh, no, it wasn't Kathy. It was Winona Coston. Winona, she tells you to try a certain diet? She did. She told me, she said, have you tried the fruit diet? Mm. And I, I said, what's the fruit diet? She said, just only eat fruit, don't cheat, have fish and vegetables for dinner and that's it and, and live off that. And, of course, I, um, I eat like a bin chicken for the <laughs> most part. So <laughs> it was possibly the hardest. I did it for three weeks, possibly the hardest three weeks of my life. Oh, yeah. Um, but... I, I, it stripped the weight off me like as as faster than ever before, and mm. I got back down to my normal riding weight, and to this day it hasn't come back on. Mm. One day you decided to ring Gerald Ryan to offer your services as a track rider. He invited you over to Rose Hill, and before long he was putting race rides your way. He was very good to you. He was very good to me. I love Gerald. I think he's a fantastic trainer and, and a lovely man. And he um, he gave me opportunities. I, I If he turned up and ride work and he was giving me opportunities and and uh, showed he wasn't shy to put my on horses, even with um, more than just provincial ability. And I, I was grateful um, at that time. I, I rode a horse for him, uh, King Tom Lawler, and wherever mm. he went um, – Gerald was happy to keep me on, and yeah. we had a great association. It was very good. Oh, he was a good horse. You had seven rides on King Tom Lola for four wins, and I think there was a hat trick in there at some stage. He was the right horse at the right time. When we spoke on the phone a week or so back, I had the temerity to suggest that you'd been relatively lucky regarding injury. Now, 10 minutes later, when you finished going through the list of your injuries, I realised I'd been very wrong. You've certainly had your share, haven't you, including a few serious concussions. Yes, I think um, all out of all my breaks and things, definitely the most serious is definitely any head injury I've had um, because it's not an injury and, and Jamie's just gone through it as well. It's not an injury you can just... Uh, sit back and wait and wait for it to fix. There's nothing you can take or nothing you can do to control it. Um, 
and it, it's uh, with every knock, it just gets a little harder mm. uh, for your brain to heal. So yeah, um, but yeah, I've had quite a few. But as we speak, you're right on the top of your game. Yeah, I'm coming back, um, and uh, I changed uh, managers now, and and I'm trying to. Uh, I said I'm out at Kembla and mm. just um, trying to fit into some stables and I've got quite a few trainers that are like once I've ridden for them, uh, they're quite loyal to me and, and I'm very appreciative of those opportunities. Mm. It's just uh, sometimes it gets a little light um, mm. when the rides, when those stables are a little smaller and, and that makes it difficult to, to stay relevant in the game because it, it seems to be mm. a strike rate and, and – if you've seen at the races, you know, you're obviously getting more opportunities than if you're not. So mm. that's sort of what we're at at the moment. The great Damien Oliver was a guest at the Newcastle Jockey Club's Cup Day recently. He had little luck. You actually rode in one race with the legend and you tell me you were very conscious of his presence. That's not normally your style. You don't get starry-eyed normally, do you? No, I'm not a fangirl by any means to anybody. I, I'm, if I was to see a celebrity, I'm like, oh, that's nice, they're there, and I'm not the type of person to walk up and try and, and speak to them or anything. And, and when I've I rode uh, Melbourne Cup Day with famous Seamus at Flemington and obviously all the top jockeys there, and I just was in my own zone doing my own thing. But I think just with his retirement and and everything impending, I, I – I, I had a little bit of a fangirl moment, which I've never had before, and I saw this bit chuffed. I, I, in the race with Damien Oliver, and um, well, he commented on the size of my animal. He was, he was possibly one of the biggest animals I've ridden. Yeah. He wasn't much good, but he, uh, he was a big horse, and and um, and had a slight chat to him behind the barriers, and and I was a little bit taken back. It's like mm. that's pretty cool that I, I've ridden with one of the the best mm. best jockeys in the game. And his retirement is looming, as we know, Rob. He'll get, go out after the Perth Carnival over the Christmas New Year period uh, with a magnificent record. No jockey in Australian racing history has ridden more Group 1 winners. He's been an absolute ornament to the game. You know, you were one of the small group of girls in the Sydney jockeys' room when the females started to hit their straps 20 years ago. And you're still there, Robin Freeman. City rides are like hen's teeth. Many jockeys, of course, uh, suffer that fate. But the provincial and country circuits offer a livelihood to hard-working jockeys. It's, um, it's a lifeline, really, isn't it, as long as you're prepared to travel? That's right. Travel and, and work hard, which is something I've, I've never been shy of. I don't mind working hard as long as I'm getting the opportunities and, and um, we just keep pushing forward. And um, I've done that. Like I, I could have given up many times when, when things haven't gone to plan. And um, But, yeah, I just keep pushing on and, and, and um, I keep getting opportunities. So it's, uh, it's something to be said for hard work. And, and one of those things that, that you taught me was definitely gay. It usually teaches you how to work hard. Just had a quick look at the records the other day, Rob. I think you rode more winners for Gay Waterhouse than any other trainer. In fact, I saw one figure, 99 wins. 
Uh, yes. So, yeah, written, written 100 winners for Gay um, when we teamed up together. So we had a lot of success and, um, this, like, I was that was my style of riding then um, on all the front-running horses and, and um, yeah, it was it – was, uh, it was, a, it was definitely the strongest point of my career. If I had to pin you down to name one inspiration among the other jockeys, I know you don't get starry-eyed, as we mentioned, but have you had a favourite deep down? Uh, I think for a long time um, I was actually uh, uh, probably admired Huey. Hugh Bowman. Yeah. Um, I didn't ride like him at all, um, and I just just appreciated like his patience in races and his strength and and having to waste and and turn up to the races every day. And I think that, um, yeah, like he was probably if there was a jockey I was definitely watching at the like for a long time. It was definitely Huey. Right, Hugh Bowman. You're not the first one to tell me that. Well, that Newcastle double the other day, Robin, was very impressive and it prompted me to give you a call and check out your fascinating story. Ride well, Rob, and thanks for going to great pains to talk to us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. I appreciate it. Thanks very much for the time. Many Australian trainers have tried their horses on Pride's Racing Cube and have given the product a tick of approval. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube set recipe formulation means the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags, or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at an economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed Stable. Trainers of thoroughbreds, standardbreds, and performance horses are giving it the thumbs up all around the nation.